Welcome to the Crush Your Mountain Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Health and Life Coach, Henry Gaskins, founder of Crystal's Transformational Coaching Service and creator of the Crush Method. This is a podcast about health, wellness, and personal growth. It's a space where people share cutting-edge information that will help you make changes in your life. We also share personal stories about the challenges and triumphs that have helped us to crush through the mountains of our lives. When diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I decided not to let it overtake me, but to crush through this personal mountain in order to control, arrest, and remit this condition. I learned that anyone that has the determination and the support can make massive change in their life to improve their state of being. And I began a journey to help others to do just that. And now I help individuals across the country and around the world lose weight, reduce their glucose, and create a new path for the life they want. And this is the Crush Your Mountain Podcast. To this very special Crush Your Mountain Wellness. Today, I have one of the most amazing people you can imagine in terms of wellness and taking care of your body and taking care of your health. If you are a person who's over 50 and and you want to take care of your joints, you want to take care of your ability to flex, this is important for you to watch. Let me explain. Dr. Ali Hartman, although raised as a doctor of physical therapy, her true passion lies in prevention and help and promotion, getting upstreams of injuries and illnesses before they take a devastating toll on individuals, families, communities, and companies. With the majority of her experience divided between injury prevention and health promotion in industrial workforce populations, athletic development, and coaching, and outpatient um, physical therapy care, Ali believes that all athletes, industrial or otherwise, deserve the tools, resources, and ecosystems to help them perform at their best. She is one of the founding business operators of the Proactivity Company that specializes in particularly uh, dealing with clients and coaching them in terms of their movement, in terms of their ergonomics. She is a brilliant individual and I'm privileged and honored to have her on this humble show, Dr. Allison Hartman, lovingly known by her, by, by, by her patients as Dr. Ali. Welcome to Crush Your Mountain. Thank you. That was such a wonderful introduction and I'm uh, honored to be here. I've been a fan of the show and watching episodes um, since the beginning, really. And I think it's um, an amazing endeavor and you're sharing information that people need to know. Um, because it can literally, uh, I've seen the information that you're sharing. I've seen it play out where um, it truly changes the trajectory of people's lives. So I think it's important work to do it and I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, if I, uh, I don't know if anybody can see me blush, but I, I, I probably am at this point. Well, let me ask you this. What challenges do you see in middle-aged and older ones in your practice? Wow, that's a that's a big question and one that I could probably talk about forever. I think the biggest challenges um, that I see are really those that are inflicted upon that population um, largely by uh, my profession and, and my peer professions, the medical system. There's something um, a term that gets 
thrown around a lot and has been the awareness has become uh, greater more recently called ageism. And um, that's the concept that we sort of have these implicit biases about an aging adult. Um, so whether they're in the older adult category or whether they're just in an age where they're progressing towards that um, our behaviors, our language, our impressions, uh, the, the little nuances in our behavior and our tones and the ways we phrase things changes to impart this belief on a person that as they age, that their body is sort of just destined to wither away. Um, and if we've seen anything in the research, that is the opposite of the truth, that while there are changes that happen to a body as it um, is, spends more time on earth, right? The ones most obvious are the wrinkles that come on our face. Um, and those same wrinkles happen on our insides, right? But we don't have pain associated with the wrinkles on our face and we don't have to have pain associated with the wrinkles on our inside. Um, so I think the biggest challenges that really impact um, the group that you're speaking about is the biases placed on them by the people they're going to for trusted information. Um, you know, we oftentimes underdose adults in general, um, as, as physical therapists and as rehab professionals, um, we, we give us totally different subset of exercises that, that don't actually get people stronger. Um, we don't push people enough because of those implicit biases. And I believe it, it harms people. Um, although indirectly it does harm. Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, I've been listening to a number of programs and podcasts like Tom Bilyeu and others. And one of the doctors on there made an interesting statement. He said that um, he's come to view age or aging the way we all experience it as actually a disease in itself that ultimately can be cured. But now taking it one step further, you kind of touched on something interesting and that's the mind-body connection. So we talked a little bit about flexibility. What is the mind-body connection between flexibility and our joints and how that plays out over time? Sure, yeah. So um, the human brain is amazing. And um, there's a, you know, if we think about flexibility in terms of how our brain has flexibility over time, that will get labeled a term neuroplasticity. It's this concept that throughout life, um, really no matter what age category we're in, that our brain and its neural connections are constantly changing. And um, one of the most powerful ways that we can influence uh, our brain's neuroplasticity is by using our body in different and varied ways. So flexibility and mobility work being one of those things. Uh, our body is literally a, a machine that's built to adapt to the stressors that we place it under. So when we spend time um, taking our body through its full ranges of motion, pressing into areas of limitation to improve our mobility and flexibility over time, not only do we impact that tissue, um, but essentially we're training our brain. We're, we're kind of remapping that area of our body within our brain and teaching our brain how to access those pathways um, and how to act better access all the muscles in the area and to uh, improve um, what's called proprioception, the body's awareness of where that joint is in space. And all those things, when we kind of take the body uh, changes that happen when we dedicate to whether it's mobility or flexibility or strength or or movement in general. Um, we take the body benefits that happen at the local tissue and put that together with the changes that are happening in our brain that come from just going through uh, full ranges of motion throughout our life. 
Um, and it builds this really powerful union where our body is capable of doing uh, their, its full ranges of motion throughout life. And the brain knows how to program the muscles to access that range of motion. Um, so I think it's, it's a huge connection. And one that I do think is becoming more, you know, widely understood and recognized as we go through the years. How does internal dialogue, one's internal dialogue, affect that range of motion as well? Yeah, it's, that's amazing. Now we're getting into kind of my other uh, passion area, which is um, if we pull things from sports psychology, right, and things like self-talk and mantra and things that professional athletes have been using for decades, right, the, the top level Olympians um, will all tell you that their mental game is just as important as their physical game, the things they're saying to themselves, um, the dialogue they have when they're competing or when they're training. Um, and, you know, there's a tremendous amount of research on that stuff and how it literally impacts performance. So when we uh, say do the same cycling task, one group not saying anything to themselves and one group repeating a, a positive mantra in their head during the whole thing, the same individual can perform significant, statistically significantly better uh, under the trial where they're repeating that positive phrase. So if we carry that research over, um, then I think it makes total sense that the things that we're saying to ourselves about our body, that internal dialogue that we have, one, being positive, being that my body is capable, um, that yeah, maybe there's some pain or some stiffness, but um, my body is amazing at adapting and it's going to adapt if I'm just patient and persistent over time. Um, I think all of that is what makes or breaks. I, I was talking to someone this week and I said, if we can approach our body and our experience within our body and kind of the aches and pains or the areas of limitation or the things we're working on with a sense of curiosity, then um, a person that approaches their body and what it's trying to tell them with a sense of curiosity to me is a person who's going to be um, a successful kind of user of this machine for their whole life. Because the body is simply trying, us to, trying to tell us something at all times. It's using whatever methods it has. Um, and so we need to be able to respect, listen to our body and have an internal dialogue with it back to um, one that is framed in a positive outlook for us to be able to be successful long-term. Would you say that there are Eastern modalities that come into play with improving one's flexibility, improving one's joint health as it were? Case in point, well, we, everyone knows about yoga, but sure. in terms of that mind-body connection, how about the idea of meditation or, or let's just say deep think, deep internal talk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying that Eastern medicine has been around for a lot longer than uh, Western medicine has even thought to exist. So while I don't claim to understand all the methods and, um, you know, I definitely think that the sweet spot is somewhere all in the middle, right? Um, you know, I think there's a lot to Eastern medicine in general, a whole other topic, but on specifically to things like mindfulness or meditation, um, we now have overwhelming research that that has a very real effect on our physiology. That when we engage in things like mindfulness, meditation, gratitude, journaling, yoga, deep breathing, um, that our body has uh, a, a metric called our heart rate variability that tells, our, tells us basically of our nervous system balance, mm -hmm. um, our autonomic nervous system balance. And it tells us are we um, you know, relatively well recovered from all the stresses that we're putting on our body? 
And we know through the research that those types of practices have an immediate effect on our heart rate variability in the positive direction, that it brings balance to our autonomic nervous system. And a balanced autonomic nervous system is extremely important when we talk about um, whether it's risk for injury, whether it's cardiovascular disease, whether it's a host of other chronic diseases, um, and whether it's just being an overall uh, well, well-adjusted, well-moving person. Um, so it's pretty cool to now see what we probably intuitively know to work, that, it, that it's not just working because for some reason we can't explain that there's actually physiological impacts that are happening in real time. And heart rate variability is just one of those many things, not to take into account the, you know, the many brain chemicals and things like that that get released when we engage in those types of things. Wow. Well, here's another thing, just kind of moving into a slightly different area. How does diet play a role in our ability to flex and our ability to maintain our as much youth in, in our movements as possible? Yeah, absolutely. So this is another one. We're just learning so much about it year after year. Um, fuel, the types of foods that we eat has a powerful influence almost on almost every aspect of our health. Um, so we've known for a long time, chronic diseases, right? Heart disease, diabetes, cancers, those types of things. We now um, have really, really powerful evidence that it also has an influence on mental health um, with fiber being, the more fiber we get, the decrease our risk for depression. Um, we know that Western Diets are associated with increased risk of depression. So that's well established in the research. And then finally, our musculoskeletal health. Um, we now are seeing that diets that are more Western standard American diet, if you will, the SAD diet in nature, um, they're very fiber deficient. And that seems to track with certain types of musculoskeletal aches and pains and chronic pain conditions. Um, so diets that are more, um, you know, just generally a more clean, uh, you know, high fiber, um, low processed type diet. We see things like the research around knee arthritis, that people that have increased fiber intake have decreased incidence of knee osteoarthritis, um, improvements of inflammation at the level of their joint and improved pain and function. Um, we're seeing that with a, a host of other um, chronic kind of musculoskeletal mobility issues. Diabetes is probably the most clear example. Um, we know that when people have blood sugar that's out of control, which in many cases uh, in type 2 diabetes is a, a nutrition's a large factor, that that change influences the change of our body's tissues to be able to heal because blood flow is now not able to get especially to um, the, the areas of our body that are further away from our heart. And so mobility deficits associated with that are, are huge um, and something that we even learn about in PT school, but we don't always put the connection together that, yeah, that, that those changes in a person's mobility that has diabetes, if we work our way, way back the chain, um, has a lot to do with how inflammatory their diet is and, and how it's impacting their blood sugar. Wow. You know, as you're talking and you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the you know, bringing into the, um, the diet, how it affects not just our flexibility, but even in terms of mental health, you, you touched on that and it just sort of sparked something in me because one of the, um, I would say, great um, sadnesses over, over a period of time that I experienced was watching my mom go from a vibrant, intelligent uh, West Indian woman who, who was raised in, 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 in New York City 
to someone who was suffering from early onset dementia and to go to see her to, to go see to go into a uh, state of um, almost a terrified mm-hmm. person into absolute. And I began to think, what was our diet during that time? Mm-hmm. Eating during that time. Yeah. And a lot of that came right into play. Yeah. You know? And I think about myself and I'm just about the age where my own dad basically wound up with kidney failure. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, well, what happened? And then I see a lot of people in same same age. What was ironic recently was I um I was I came into work early one morning and we were talking doing our shift change meeting, and a gentleman, ten years younger than me, okay, and you know I am the OG OG stands for old guy, so he's ten years younger than me, and the funny thing about it is that he could not bend down and do a deep squat. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just went down, I demonstrated it. And I'm like, you're 10 years younger than me. <laughs> you know, you know? Yeah. All those things, amazingly, are so tied together. And we in the West tend to think in terms of categories or almost uh, like, like like um, mechanics, you know, all right, this is the brain and this is the heart, and these are the lungs, and this is what goes here and that goes there, and that there's no connection. However, we are essentially created to be a, as whole beings. Mm-hmm. And totally. That, so I would ask you this then, that being the case, is there one must have food for optimum joint health? Huh, I don't know if I can give a one must have food, but I'll give one must have um, kind of food element, I guess, and that's fiber. I think when we peel back all of the research, if we boil it down to what does the resource support in uh, the, the majority of it, it's high fiber diets and fiber coming from whole food sources, not supplement sources, because our body just doesn't absorb it the same. So lots of whole food, um, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, um, see, you know, different um, spices and things of that nature. Um, so fiber would be my number one, like it's not one food. Um, I also am a big fan of, uh, there's some interesting research around anti-inflammatory spices. You know, we we know that it's dangerous to live on um, NSAIDs or a, a, you know, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug every day. Um, it will tear up your GI system. So looking at alternatives like turmeric and black pepper combinations and ginger um, and garlic, all those things that have been used in society for a long time to have anti-inflammatory effects and know they're not gonna have the same impact as popping an Advil. Um, but when we make them a part of our diet routinely over time, I, I have seen when um, the research would support that there is an impact. Wow. You know, that's so amazing because one of the things that happens in, the, in India, we know about the Ayurvedic tradition. But what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, you hear the term West Indies. Well, that's because Columbus thought he was you know, going to India. But eventually, a lot of the Indians came to the West Indies. Hence, you have instead of chicken curry and goat curry, 
in the in in the, in the West Indies, you know, Jamaica, Trinidad, um, Saint Kitts, Nevis, you have curried goat, curried chicken, curried fish. But that turmeric is so used there as well. Mm -hmm. and you'll find individuals in their old age, and they are walking further up hills and down hills, a lot okay. more so than a lot of these young folk here who are on hoverboards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. You know? You know? Yeah. But that's the thing. Now, I've heard that hip hinge exercises are something that's rather vital. So why are hip hinge exercises so important, particularly as we get older? Sure. So um, the hip hinge, which is the movement pattern that's the foundation of like uh, lifting something off the ground or a deadlift, if we're talking about a motion that's done in the gym, um, it's vital because we use it throughout our entire life, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's picking up a, a grandkid off the ground or moving a couch or lifting something up to move it at work. Um, we use it throughout life. That's a, a extremely vital um, movement pattern. It's also one that if we don't practice it on a regular basis, it's it's a relative, it's a little bit of a complex movement pattern for our brain and our body to coordinate together. Um, so if we don't practice it on a regular basis, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So it becomes a pattern that is unfamiliar to our body. And when it's unfamiliar and we're not efficient at it is when we have an increased risk for injury when doing it. Um, so hip hinge uh, is one, and then the squat, right? Because what do we see often lost, um, especially in our kind of older, older adult population? Um, we see the we see the loss of the ability to get up and down off a chair and up and down off the commode. Um, so practicing the squat movement pattern, maintaining its strength throughout life, um, that's another movement pattern that I'm that if you pick two to do on a regular basis and make sure that you maintain mobility and strength throughout your mobility in those two patterns. Um, I think those are those are ones that are definitely worth it. Perhaps at a later time, if you're up for it, um, I'll send up, uh, I can set up a little uh, short, a short clip of hip, hip hinge exercises that can be done sometime in the future. And that's up to you. Sure. I'd love to get, get our people to kind of see at least two of those demonstrated so that they have an idea of what to do. And sure. about folks who are even in the 60s, 70s, et cetera, because there are individuals there who I believe can actually benefit and improve from, you know, on what they may have lost. Can someone sure. compensate for loss of flexibility? Oh, for sure. Um, the human body is amazing in its ability to figure out how to get the job done. Um, first of all, it's, it's responsive to mobility uh, training throughout life. Um, of course, as we go through body, a big thing that happens is we lose our hydration a little bit um, throughout our tissues. So it becomes, we have to put in more effort to get the same result, if you will, but you can improve mobility throughout life, um, throughout the lifespan. Um, and then the other piece is that um, if let's say you're stuck in one place, maybe you had a surgery and you, for example, a, a spinal fusion and that segment of your back is not going to move because it's designed not to, um, the body's amazing in its ability to make up for it elsewhere. We often use compensation is this like bad word of like, oh, I'm compensating. So I'm going to have an issue somewhere else. Um, and that can be the case sometimes, but a lot of times it's a positive adaptation. The body will figure out how to get more out of other areas to make up for an area that's stuck. So 
it can definitely um, compensate in a positive way over time if you're consistent and you're uh, progressive in your endeavors to improve your mobility, flexibility, strength, et cetera. Wow, that's great. I'm gonna pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about you because, you know, because you know, I, I don't think anyone could you know, come in contact with you and be struck by by both your beauty, brains, and business acumen. So we gotta talk about you for a second. So, so you've started proactivity and you've had that going for a bit. You have, what are your next projects and is there a book in the making? <laughs> Not a book yet, I wish I had time to write a book. Um, no, uh, essentially the way that, I guess a little bit of backstory. So proactivity itself has been around for 20 years. Um, and when I was in PT school, I almost um, I almost gave up because I didn't feel like I fit in a traditional med medical model. I did well in school. I just couldn't see myself being behind closed doors in an office, waiting for people to get broken down and then coming to see me. And so I almost gave up. I found, uh, fortunately, through the amazing power of the universe to put us where we need to be, um, I found proactivity. They actually helped my dad come back from a, a pretty bad experience um, health-wise. And um, I knew that was what I wanted to do. So as soon as I graduated, I moved to New Jersey. I learned the proactivity way, came down here and started um, proactivity North Carolina. And so um, that's been now two and a half years. And um, what's next, I'd say, is just continuing to build on the momentum thus far. We've had um, it's been truly amazing, uh, the growth that we've experienced and just the ability to get our message out and be met um, with not just not resistance, but open arms to this concept that's a little different, that we can get ahead of these things, prevent them um, outright and find ways to put ourselves where the people are rather than waiting for people to come to us, go where they spend their time, um, which is why I love being in the workplace environment so much. Um, so yeah, no, no books planned yet, uh, maybe someday. But um, for right now, if I get a couple minutes to sit down, I'm just trying to read a book, not write one. <laughs> That's understandable. Our time these days are short, you know. I'm just so happy that you took the time to spend here with, with, with me and, 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 and many of my people that love to watch the, this program. And perhaps in the future again, we'll, we'll see where things are. If you um, if you need a ghostwriter, I'm always available. <laughs> there know? we go. There we but, go. <laughs> um, but listen, uh, thank you again for this time, and and we just wish you the greatest success, and can keep uh, keep helping us old folks stay flexible. And I don't think I'm that old. I call myself the old. There you go. So you know, so you know, like I always tell everybody, don't just climb your mountain, crush through it. This is the Hanks OG here with Dr. Ali Hartman. And let's see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Crush Your Mountain. Remember, we deal with health, wellness, and personal growth. And each week, we will have a guest featuring one of those categories. If you would like support in losing weight, reversing type 2 diabetes, or dealing with a specific challenge in your life that you just need the support or help you get through, feel free to reach out by means of Instagram, where you'll find me at Diabetes Weight Loss Henry Gaskins, or Crush Your Mountain Hankster OG. Subscribe to my Crush Your Mountain YouTube channel where you'll see bonus content featuring an eclectic array of guests. 
join my Facebook group where I go live each week and hit the behind scenes version of this episode that you're listening to right now. Finally, for a free session with me personally, DM me on Instagram. Call or text me at 434-218-4198. That's 434-218-4198. I am Henry Gaffney, certified health and life coach, public speaker, educator, and this is Crush Your Mountain Podcast. And remember, don't just climb your mountain, crush it. See you next time.